Hello, and welcome to Asbury United Methodist Church's podcast. My name is Forrest Divini. I'm the lead pastor at Asbury. Thanks for joining us, and we hope this episode will enrich your walk with Christ, increase your knowledge of the Bible, and maybe even entertain you a little bit as we go. Folks, <clears throat> my apologies, I'm still getting over being sick this weekend a little bit, so I'm still working from home and recording this from home as we as we work through the Bible. Um Just a reminder, you know, on Sunday mornings at the moment, what I'm preaching on is, uh, it's our stewardship series, our giving series, and of course, Pastor Trudy uh, filled in for me this Sunday and did a, a fantastic job. Uh, but this coming Sunday will be the not only the final Sunday in the stewardship series, but also our our pledge Sunday when we ask you to turn in your pledge cards. Uh, it's a really moving service for me because the way we do it is, of course, that you come to the altar rail and you lay your pledge card on the altar rail, and we pray over you as you do it. I've always found that really moving and powerful to participate in. (coughs) Meanwhile, as we do that, uh, I'm still doing our teaching on the one-year Bible in the middle of the week. So uh, this week, you're still reading Jeremiah in the Old Testament, and at this point, I feel like I've covered Jeremiah pretty thoroughly. Um, So I'm going to focus on Titus this week, this little letter to Titus. Now, most of Paul's letter to Titus deals, well, not most of it, sorry, much of it deals with combating false doctrine. Um, But he also gives some guidance for how Christians are supposed to live and for some qualifications for Christian leaders. And, And that, to me, is where it gets really interesting. And we'll get to that in a minute. Um, Titus is one of Paul's, I don't know if disciples is the right word, co-worker, certainly. He's on the island of Crete, which is in the middle of the Mediterranean, south of Greece. A very ancient, historic center of civilization. Um, there are ruins you know, going back way early into the Bronze Age. Uh, the Minoan civilization likely began in Crete and spread throughout the rest of Greece. Uh, A lot of history there. Um, And kind of oddly, by this day and age, when when Paul is writing to Titus, the the people of Crete have a reputation uh, for being liars. Like the whole culture has a reputation for being a liar. This is where we get the, uh, the idea of using the word Cretan as an insult for someone of a doubtful character, or, you know, you know I mean, you may have heard that. Uh, it's a reference to people from Crete, and it dates back to this day and age. Um, and they have some other lifestyle issues that conflict with Christianity. Um, you can pick up on what those are as you read through the letter. But Paul connects sound doctrine with sound behavior. This is where it gets really interesting. Sound doctrine is connected to sound behavior. In other words, What you believe determines how you live. And you simply cannot live properly as a Christian if you don't believe properly as a Christian. This is huge. And this is an idea that we in the Christian West have largely abandoned. 
we simply do not give this notion the importance it deserves. That the idea that that you can't live properly as a Christian if you don't believe properly as a Christian. And part of that is because, frankly, a whole lot of us in the Christian West don't actually subscribe to the idea that there is a proper way to live as a Christian. There are a whole lot of us who who would essentially, if, if pressed, say that, well, as long as you're basically a good person and you go to church, you're probably doing okay. But that's really not what the Bible says about it at all. There are definitely things about Christian living that are distinct and unique. And part of our problem is we live in a, in a part of the world that has been fundamentally shaped by Judeo-Christian ideology for 2,000 years. And so... In, in in a way, we've lost some of that distinctiveness because there are things about living as a Christian, or for that matter, as a Jew, which are now just part of the cultural norm. We've diluted our distinctness. And, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. The, the goal, of course, is to make it for everybody to live properly as a Christian. But what happens is we... We lose our sense that there is a right way to live as a Christian and a wrong way to live as a Christian. And that this is connected directly to what we believe. And so when the church does a poor job of teaching what we believe, the result is Christians who do a poor job of living as Christians. This is why Doctrine matters. This is why it matters what we believe. This is why it matters what the official teachings of the church are. Because they affect how you live. And how you live is of vital importance. This is why the current division within the United Methodist Church is so important. What we believe shapes how we live, and how we live is of vital importance. Paul understood that Christians cannot live as Christians without believing the right things, and that Christians cannot be Christians without living like it. Now, I'm going to pause here. <coughs> I'm going to pause, um, because when you, when you start talking about the importance of believing the right things, you can very easily begin to sound like you're becoming the thought police, um, and you want to... to you know, carefully dictate and control what people think and what people believe. And so we want to emphasize, you know, we're not, <clears throat> the, the church doesn't approach this, or it should not approach this, in the same way that communist China approaches it, right? I mean, if you are in China, there are specific things you are required to believe and think and say, and they control quite a bit of it. Um, there are, you know, things you're not allowed to say things you're not allowed to think, questions you're not allowed to ask. That's not what we're going for here. Even within uh, the global Methodist church, the newly formed conservative Methodist denomination, um, there are baseline doctrines that we are, that are the official beliefs of the church, that this is what we teach, this is what we believe, this is what we uphold. But if you read through those, what you will see is that they really are a baseline. There is a great deal of room for freedom of thought. There is a great deal of room 
for disagreement on things. Even as you believe the right thing. Uh, one example I really like to use is, is uh, our approach to issues like abortion. Now, I would argue, we, need, we, we can all agree that uh, human life is sacred. All humans are made in the image of God. Uh, I would argue that abortion as birth control is morally wrong. I don't think that there is any better standard we have for determining when life begins than the moment of conception because every other standard we can apply is ultimately arbitrary. That's the only one which is concrete. Now having said this, and <coughs> I think most traditional Christians would agree with that statement. Where we have a lot of room for disagreement is, what's the best way to fix this? Some people will advocate for an abortion ban. right? I, I, I don't think that's a good idea at all. I don't think it will do anything. Um, we know, for instance, that in the year before Roe versus Wade was decided, there were more abortions in the United States when it was illegal in most places. There were more abortions in the United States than there were in 2019 when it was legal in all 50 states. So clearly the abortion ban actually did not have much of an effect on the rate of abortions. There are other things we can do to help young women and help their babies, which are better and more effective. So we can disagree on how to implement it. We can even, I, I think to some extent, have, have the conversation of, you know, at what point does it become morally wrong? Where we, can, we can debate when life begins. I don't know that I'm 100% right. I have my beliefs on it. And of course, we can also argue about, in, about cases in which terminating a pregnancy is actually acceptable, right? There are medical reasons why that might be the case. You see how there's freedom of thought here. Uh, let me do another one that's maybe more theological in nature. Uh, what did Jesus accomplish on the cross? Well, okay, he, he pays the debt for our sin, right? He defeats death, but how does, he, how does he do all this? There are actually theories of atonement. And some will, will insist that Jesus had to have been functioning the same way that the sacrificial lamb in the temple functions, paying the price for our sins with his own life. Other people focus primarily on his victory over evil and death. He, he allowed the evil powers of this world to strike their strongest possible blow, and it still didn't defeat him. And so he's overcome evil and death. Both of these are, are ways of looking at the cross that are perfectly valid and in line with Scripture. What about heaven and hell? What about salvation and damnation? Well, here again, we have lots of room, actually, for freedom of thought. You will find people who are very Orthodox Christians who believe quite firmly uh, in, in what we would call conscious eternal torment. Okay, that, that people who die as sinners 
go to hell and spend all eternity consciously suffering for their sins because they never repented. You will also find people who are Orthodox Christians who take a very different view of it. There are views like annihilationism, which suggests that actually when Jesus comes back and, and raises us from the dead and, and heaven and earth are united into one and God's presence dwells with us, people who died in a state of unrighteousness will simply cease to exist. They cannot continue to exist in the presence of a holy God. That's annihilationism. And you can absolutely read the passages in the Bible about what happens to sinners after they die in a way that supports that. Right? It, right? The, the passages about the eternal fire talk about the fire being eternal, not the people in the fire. You can make that argument. Um, other people like to take the track that C.S. Lewis took in his book, The Great Divorce, which indicates that um, you know, hell is really this place where you know, God is not actively tormenting people, um, but really it's just a place where God is not. God's not there. You are utterly and completely cut off from him because you have chosen to be utterly and completely cut off from him. This, in effect, is what it is when you live your life as an unrepentant sinner. You are continuously rejecting God, and, and so you end up in this place where there is no God. And since God is the source of all good things, there are no good things there. If that view intrigues you, by the way, you really should read The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis. It's one of the most interesting books I've ever read in my life. Um, now, all of these views, and there are more, by the way, there are more. Um, all of these views on what heaven and hell like, they, they fit into that category of right belief. Things which we can look into scripture and we can see support for them there. Uh, they are orthodox theology, but there is a great deal of diversity there. So don't want you to get the impression that when we talk about believing the right things that we've got like a very narrow, that we're going to, if you disagree on any point at all, you're in trouble. No, 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 no. There are, there are key elements which are important, which shape how we live. And you cannot be truly a Christian if you are not believing the right things because you cannot live as a Christian if you don't believe the right things. And we see this working out in, in the world, by the way. I said earlier, you know, the Western world is shaped fundamentally by Judeo-Christian thought. The, the whole idea of human rights comes from Judeo-Christian thought. It did not exist in the world outside of Judaism and Christianity. The idea of equality is rooted in the idea that we are all made in the image of God. That, that the whole idea of, of <coughs> human life having intrinsic value comes from the Judeo-Christian idea that all humans are made in the image of God. Um, I could go on and on. But, but all of the values that Western civilization holds dear are rooted in Judeo-Christian thought. Except what's happening now in Europe and the U.S. is that people are trying to maintain those values without their religious backing. And it's not working so well. Um, you can't really push for human equality if you don't believe in the reason for the equality of humanity. And if you really dig into the messages coming out of our political parties right now, and that's both Republican and Democrat, 
um, no one's actually advocating for equality. What they're advocating for is uh, equality so long as you agree with them. And that's not just Republican and Democrat. That's true in, in much of the Western world. Equality only counts if you agree with them. Same goes for tolerance, right? We'll only tolerate you so long as you agree with me. And again, it's true for Republican and Democrat. And what this really leads to, by the way, is, is utopian ideologies which cause more harm than good. Because now people on both sides of the political divide believe that, well, if everyone would just believe what we believe and, and do what we want them to do, all of our problems would be solved. And so people look around, and people who have weak religious belief or no religious belief see um, a political party that advocates for justice, that advocates for equality, that advocates for compassion for the poor. And they think, well, how is this different from Christianity? Well, it is because they aren't truly advocating for those things. They're advocating for trying to achieve those things in their own way, which always involves power and manipulation. Um, because it's not rooted in love. It's not rooted in the idea that these people are all made in the image of God. We see it on both sides. People are trying to maintain Judeo-Christian ideology in some sense, the, the parts of it that have worked themselves out into our culture without the religious backing. And it's blowing up in their faces. But Paul understood that Christians cannot live as Christians without believing the right things and that Christians cannot be Christians without living like it. And that's because of the world they lived in. It's a world surrounded by people who lived all sorts of hedonistic, sinful, evil lifestyles. And in that sense, it's a world that's not too different from our own. My friends, the world we live in is not becoming more secularized. It is becoming more paganized. What's happening is not an, an increase in atheism, but actually an increase in beliefs like witchcraft and other sort of odd spiritual beliefs. Right? Wicca is a growing religion. Most people don't identify as a particular religion, still identify as spiritual. In other words, pagan beliefs are actually on the rise. We really are not seeing a world that's becoming secularized. That's just a, that's not what's actually borne out by the numbers. And atheism is not suddenly becoming the guiding force of society. Rather, people are turning to other spiritual beliefs, simpler ones, ones that are not as challenging to their way of life, ones that were very common in the pagan world. And so in many ways, the world is returning to what it was in Paul's day. And so it has never been more important since Paul's time for Christians to understand the truth and to live by the truth. The single biggest reason that the church grew so much, so quickly, in the first few centuries of its existence was the way that Christians lived. They were kind in a world without kindness. 
They were generous in a world without generosity. They were loving in a world that was selfish. They used to save discarded infants from the trash heaps and raise them as their own because they knew those children were made in the image of God. When plagues struck, they cared for the sick, even when the sick people were the same ones who would have thrown them in the arena with the lions, even when they risked getting the plague themselves. Because they they knew those sick people were made in the image of God, and God loved them. People saw how they lived, and they were drawn to it. If we live as Christians, people will be drawn to it. And if people aren't drawn to it, we have to question then if we are really living as Christians. We have to question if our life, if our beliefs, if the way we behave and act and treat people is really guided by our Christian belief or not. And I suspect for a lot of us, much of our lifestyle is guided more by our political beliefs than by our religious beliefs. And I say this a lot as a pastor because I see it as a major, major problem in modern American society. Our, our political beliefs in so many ways become more important than our, our religious beliefs. So much so that if I challenge your political beliefs with, with something from Scripture, I'll offend people, right? I can, I can challenge Republicans with Bible verses about how to treat immigrants, and they'll get angry. I can challenge Democrats with Bible verses about human sexuality, and they'll get angry. All people who should be Christians and who, who ought to be constantly examining their political beliefs in light of the Scriptures... And often it turns out they're doing the opposite. Paul's message to Titus is not to let the false doctrines in. It's to focus on teaching the truth to his church so that they will live according to the truth. The world is going to become more and more hostile to Christianity as the years go by, not because it's becoming more secularized, but because it's becoming more paganized. And it will be more and more important for Christians to know the truth and live by the truth. Because if we do that, people are drawn to it. That's what Paul says to Titus. And it's what I say to you. That's all for this week, folks. I'll see you on Sunday.